Right, yeah. now, Greg, I'm not getting familiar. Yeah. My gear lever's down there. Ready? <laughs> All right. But it's either, I won't need it much, it's only yeah. either forward or reverse, okay? Wait, wait. okay. <laughs> I'm in Westeros on the far western reaches of the Scottish Highlands. It sounds like a region in Game of Thrones, and it looks like it too. Colin Murdoch has just picked me and my girlfriend up in his croaking Land Rover, and we're on the way to Rear Egg Forest Estate, where he looks after the grounds and the red deer herd. I got spotlight for this guy. Runs a little garage. And after foxes, you know. And we're out the other night. I went way up a glen, you know. And all of a sudden, he starts fumbling at my backside. <laughs> I says, what are you doing? And this is in the dark, and he's a big guy too. I says, what else are you doing? He says, you've got your seatbelt through my strap of my... A couple of years ago, my boss told me she was looking for an author to update a chapter in the Rough Guide to Scotland. It was the North and Northwest Highlands, that bit right up at the top of the map, Britain's windswept quiff. Now, every editor at Rough Guides has their niche. There's the editor who speaks Japanese, the adrenaline junkie who hurtles herself wherever she can be hurtled, the guy who's mastered the art of haggling in Morocco's Medinas. I was still fairly new to Rough Guides, and I could have carved out an expertise anywhere. But from that moment, after I said those three words, I'll do it, I became the guy who gets sent to the blusteriest, bleakest corner of Scotland. And I love it. This is a wild side of Britain that many people will never experience, where the landscape is muscular and full of surprises, like the white sand beaches along the north coast, which could literally be from the Caribbean. And the villages feel right at the edge of civilization. Up here, phone signal is near enough non-existent. Fishermen still prop up the bar in pubs and discuss the weather. During my research trips, I've driven along hundreds of miles of single-track roads, explored abandoned cliff-edge castles and hiked up muddy hills in horizontal rain, all the while scribbling notes on whatever I could find at that moment. And you meet a lot of people on the road too. I'd arranged to meet Colin Murdoch in a car park in Loch Carron. When he hopped out of his Land Rover, I saw a middle-aged man wearing a deerstalker hat and a heavy coat, with a grin joining his cheeks that were bruised pink from years of facing the elements. I was with my girlfriend, Vicky, my unofficial co-op data, and while I'd read positive reviews of Colin's Argo tours, I wasn't completely sure what to expect. So what exactly, what have we got in store today? What are we actually doing? I thought you said you were on my Facebook page. <laughs> you so know. I've seen pictures, <laughs> I've got an idea. Vic, you, don't, you haven't seen anything, have you? I know nothing. Right, um, hopefully you'll see some deer. You? You're not pregnant, are you? Hope not. It can be a little bit bumpy, but the oldest person I've had up in it is 91. Whoa. But that's my mum. I wouldn't normally take somebody that age. <laughs> and we wedged her in between my wife and myself. Right. And um, she loved it. Looking out the window to my left, I see Loch Caron, calm and silvery white from the thick clouds that hang overhead. To the right, whitewashed cottages line the road with people pottering about in their gardens. And behind, there are fields dotted with sheep. Now, these sheep are a living reminder of the tragic fate of the Highlands peasant population during the clearances. In the 1800s, extensive sheep farming became incompatible with the growing peasant population. Sheep take up a lot of space. So many landowners decided to clear their estates of tenants. Some were brutally removed and banished to tiny plots 
where they lived as crofters or subsistence farmers. A potato famine followed, forcing large-scale emigration to North America and leaving huge uninhabited areas that are found around the region today. The remaining crofting population dwindled over the next century, and today the Highlands is one of the most sparsely populated areas in the whole of Europe. At this point, Colin points up to a ruined village, a small collection of black houses, just shells after being abandoned many years ago. Aye, the quick way up to that village is up there. See that, see that tree? Just yep. above it is that ruined village. There's about a dozen or 15 houses, ruins. And there's an old ruined corn kiln. You can still see the corn kiln in the burn. Uh, sad though when you got there, you know. Yeah. Kids run about and greeted and, you know, greet. Do you know what a greet is? A greet. Greeted? No. You run away greeting to your mommy, you know, crying. Oh, right. This bay out here, that's Slum Bay, which is actually, most of the words around here are Gaelic, mm. but Slum Bay is a Norse word, because we had the Vikings here for a couple of hundred years, of course. Yeah, yeah. My mother, when she went to school, she couldn't speak English. Right. Um, she could only speak Gaelic. And uh, if they spoke Gaelic in school, they got the belt. You didn't have the cane up here. It was the belt. belt. It was like a big long leather strap about that thick with two split into two or three fingers. So Yeah. And um, if they spoke Gaelic in school they got the belt. So it was thrashed out them. Wow. So when when we uh, were little, she wouldn't speak Gaelic to us. Oh. So I've no Gaelic, I'm afraid. Well not many people do now, do they? Yeah. It's surprising, there's quite a few jobs. Mm. Well, yeah. That's region and Gale. So if you translate this. <laughs> you might as well ask her, because I can't. <laughs> the most recent census put garlic speakers at around 60,000 or about 1% of Scotland's population, but there's thought to be around a quarter of a million who have at least some understanding of the language. Since the 1980s, efforts have been made to try and save the language through schools, radio shows, music programmes. That's a big tree. At this point, the road narrows, still following the lockside, and we enter the forest. That is a big tree. <laughs> I can't cut it off the... This is our ground now. Impossibly tall trees stand close together, the water is still visible in the thin gaps between the trunks. That's a real tree hugger tree. Well, it was when it was standing. These trees were planted in 1910. Not that I remember. <laughs> what kind of trees are these? Most of them are Douglas. Douglas fir. Right. These trees should be felled about 40 years ago. They're enormous. Look how big they are. I'll show you a big one in a minute. There's a big one here. We reach the end of the road. Ahead, there's a lone, flaking bench, looking out over the water towards the small village of Plockton and a fang-like mountain range beyond. Is that a picturesque place to have your piece? That looks like a perfect lunch spot. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Yep. And you might... Wait, oh. You can sometimes see the seagull out here. <sighs> so there's Sky now. Oh, yeah. That's a cool one. That left hand one, that's the one that the Norwegian princess is buried on top. Really? Benakalia. Is it Benakalia? 
When did that happen? When, when was she buried on top of that? Oh, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Apparently, apparently that is true. Just when we sit down and start getting out our squashed cheese sandwiches, wrapped up in cling film from the local village shop, Colin sees something circling high above the lock. What's that? It's a sea eagle. Wow. Aye, it's definitely a sea eagle. The two brothers are unhappy with it. They're unhappy with it? They're not happy with it. Why? Well, it's a threat, isn't it? It could kill them if they wanted. That's why they're mobbing it. We trundle down a long driveway into the forest estate, where we hop out of the Land Rover and into an Argo. Now this is a kind of eight-wheeled buggy, a bit like a quad bike, with a roll cage and an engine that rumbles you to your core. As soon as Colin hits the accelerator, we jolt forward. It feels like we're in a tumble dryer that someone has turned into a vehicle. The Argo is designed to cross the muddiest, boggiest terrain you can imagine. A perfect fit for a man whose job it is to feed and raise a deer herd that is scattered across thousands of acres of heath and woodland. Are you wanting to go in the middle? You alright? No, I'm fine. You're okay. I'm stopping anyway. I'm going to feed this lot. I better give them some grub. It, it's the worst bit about the Argo is when you're sideways. Up and down, it's no bother. Yeah. It's like a boat going into a wave. Yeah. It's when it turns sideways is most dangerous. Has it ever toppled? It can tip over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My cousin capsized one in a loch. They're amphibious. Oh. But there's two bungs, I haven't got the bungs in. Because if you put the bungs in, the back fills up with rainwater. Um, but, um, oh, there's a stag. Oh, yeah. Over the top. There it is. It is. Oh, gross. <laughs> oh, you like my office? It's, it's all right. Hello, mate. <laughs> so he's chucking food out for all of these mountain, these furry, hairy mountain goats. You can't cuddle them all. You can only cuddle him. Yeah, we must be. That's over here. This is Toby. Feel how warm his horn is. Let's get back in there. <laughs> deer management in Scotland is not straightforward. Today, the total number of deer in the Highlands is around 750,000, treble what it was 50 years ago. And this level of overpopulation has a huge effect on local landowners, native woodland sustainability, and the well being of the deer themselves. So it's the responsibility of estates like Rear Egg to manage their herds with care. And part of this process means culling. The appeal is beyond me, but people travel across the world and pay hundreds of pounds to shoot a stag, a practice that's existed up here for centuries. And the venison meat is then distributed locally. But these days, more and more people are coming to Rear Egg Forest to shoot the deer in another way, with their cameras. Up until now, I'd only seen wild stags darting across the road or grazing at twilight in a glen. 
Colin's Argo tours give the chance to get right up to these majestic beasts. Look at that. That's Fleming. That's he's scenting the air. See that? Yeah. There must be a there must be a hind in in season. Um, he's tasting hormones or whatever. Wow. Pheromones or something. And if you look at and that licking the lips, see that? Yeah. And if you look at his eyes. He's got googly eyes, that fellow. Yeah, really They've is. all got brown eyes. He hasn't. He's got oh, weird eyes. He does, Last winter, that stag would gladly have killed me. <laughs> Two or three times he came at me. Really? Yeah. While you were in this or while you were No, no, when I'm feeding. And I, when I'm feeding, just you stay in here. Once yeah. the food's in the ground, you're all right. You can get out, they won't touch you. All right. Um, but while I'm putting it out, they're running about, and you can get knocked over. Look at this guy. He's a nice one. Do you know this, Nicky? Aye, it's Nicky, isn't it? Nicky. Nicky. Vicky. 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 Oh, Vicky, sorry, I was calling you Nicky. Of all, I, put, I try and keep my I don't work a website, I just work a Facebook page. And I try and put a photo on every couple of days to keep it moving, you know, yeah, folk yeah, like yeah. that. And of all the stags I post photos of, that stag there gets way by more <laughs> likes than any other stag. Really? And it's mostly by women. <laughs> so is there something about him that women find attractive? You know what I mean? Is he's a very handsome. He's got he big old, ho he's very big horns. <laughs> he's got, he's, he's very wide. Yeah. That's a, that a stag in the skyline behind. Yeah. yeah. He's got, he's got a lot more points. He does. He's, he's more only, fancy. He's only got, he's only got um, 14, but he's got 20. Wow. But he's a bonnier head because it's longer and wider. Yeah. And yeah. After riding in the Argo for about half an hour, we reach the herd at the top of the hill. Colin hops out of the vehicle and starts throwing food out, while Vicky and I shuffle in with the equipment at the back. At this exposed point, there's nothing whatsoever to shield us from the force of the North Atlantic winds. Around us, I see bare rolling hills, light brown from the heath and patches of forest. It's a landscape shaped by humans, but I can't see anything man-made. We're all alone up here. Just us and a few dozen hungry stags and hinds snuffling about. So watch this lad here. Yeah, he's got a... Slightly... If they're getting narky, they grind their teeth. That's aggression. Vicky does that as well. <laughs> God, look at him. That one with the one horn, you'll hear him grind his teeth. So they're all scurrying about, eating up the food. Being fairly well behaved so far. Apart from that one, Apart I don't mind the look Yeah. He looks possessed. He's got a mischievous look in his eyes, doesn't he? That's one word for it. Oh, God. They're <laughs> nice, aren't they? <laughs> I just don't, I don't like him. <laughs> He's all right, actually. He's not the worst. That's no. the worst one there. Oh, God. The one just behind you, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> He'll not touch you now he's eating, he's fine. Yeah, fine. <laughs> oh, he's a nasty piece of work, that. <laughs> the boss said to me, if he gets nasty, he says, don't take any chances, he's just shooting. I says, I can't shoot that stag. That stag's only three years old, it'll be four in June. <laughs> and potentially that's the best stag I'll ever have up here. Wow. Wow. They, they should be, they'll be thinking about casting soon. It's usually the old stag's first, that lad there, he'll be the first to cast, probably. How do they do that? Do they... You'll see there'll be a little black line will grow. It'll appear underneath. See the coronet at the bottom of the horn, the yeah. ring at the bottom? 
Well, between that and here, you'll see this black line come. It'll appear mm. a couple of days before it casts, and then it'll just fall off. And it bleeds when it falls off. Yeah. So this one's getting quite close now. A stag is now a couple of feet behind Vicky. This is by far the closest that any has come so far. His antlers suddenly look menacingly sharp. He's no worried about you. Just me worried about him. Yeah? Just me worried about I'll him. Get <laughs> 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 the hinds are more amenable. Which is incredible. Hear that? Mm. Yeah. That's two noises. They go, mmm, and then they grind their teeth. This mmm is appeasement. That's, look, I'm not a threat. I'm, I'm no harming you. Um, that's leave me alone. Uh, grinding the teeth is if you hear them grinding their teeth in the ear, you, you need to get out of the way. Okay. You shouldn't be doing that. You really shouldn't be doing that. So what's he saying there? He, he's that that's rutting behaviour. That's roaring. All right. Should only do that September October, but there must be a hind in uh, season. But these hinds with the tags, the yellow tags, mm. I only got them in November. And they'd had the calves taken off them. Now, I don't know, did that delay their season coming in or what? But I think that some of them have been... There's been odd roars all winter. Um, so I wonder if that's why. Somebody must be coming into season, but that's not a good thing, because if it's true, it means there's going to be an either an awful late calf that's not going to survive. You know, it won't survive getting born in the winter. Yeah. You know, unless I... I'll never find it. And the mother, they're about... They're about a month old before the mothers will take them to the feed. They hide them through the day. Right. Now, in the wintertime, if she hides a calf on its own in bad weather, it's going to die of hyperthermia. So I don't want late calves. I'm starting to realise that Colin's job is more than managing a herd for the financial gain of the estate's owner. He doesn't charge much for these Argo tours. It's like 40 or 50 quid for a full afternoon on the hill. It feels more like Colin invites people along partly to share the thrill of riding around in this crazy buggy. But more than that, I think he really likes introducing people to his stags and hinds. They're his family, and he wants to show them off like a proud father. See that behind this wee thing here? Mm. That's a calf from last year. That's last year's calf. See the half size? Yeah. This one here with the wee spikes, mm -hmm. just single spikes, that's a calf from the previous year. So he'll be, he'll be two in June. Uh-huh. Vicky, put your hand out. Put your hand out, just put your hand out. Wiggle your fingers a wee bit. She'll not bite you. They've got very, very soft lips. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I feed her. You can feed her by hand. That's a calf, that's, that's Lassie's calf. Oh, yeah. She's coming round to me. What are you looking for, Lassie? Coming round to Daddy. <laughs> Eh? She's waiting in her group. My wife right and she takes second place. <laughs> <laughs> my go away, all I want to go, Mr. Madea. <laughs> I just want to go back to Madea. After an hour or so with the herd, we get back in the Argo and chug down the hill. What Colin's doing here is just one example of what lies at the heart of Scottish tourism. Old traditions brought to life with flair. And I see this all across the Highlands, like the micro-distillery in Dunnet Bay growing botanicals in its garden, 
the lonely shed in Carboston Sky which sells the freshest oysters you can imagine with salty chips, the bagpipers who send off a Calmac ferry, carrying relatives who have just visited an island for a weekend Cayley. If it's the landscape that lures people to the highlands and the weather that keeps others at bay, I think it's the warmth and humour of the Scottish people, like Colin, that will keep people coming back. My colleagues can keep their exotic niches if it means I can keep returning to this forgotten corner of Great Britain. This brings us to the end of series one of The Rough Guide to Everywhere. We're going to spend the next couple of months recording more and more interviews with amazing people and we will be travelling to even farther flung places around the globe. And maybe you have some amazing stories of your own or there's someone in particular who you'd like to hear us interview or perhaps you've got some feedback on the sorts of things that you'd like to hear more of in the next series. Are there any episodes that you've really loved or is there anything that you haven't loved quite so much? We are all ears. So you can get in touch with us using the hashtag RGPodcast on Twitter or email us on mail at uk.roughguides.com. Just put the word podcast in the subject line. So subscribe now and the first episode of Series 2 will plonk onto your mobile device as soon as it's up. It's free and it takes one click. And it'd be really great if you could just take a minute to write us a review on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. It's the best slash only way to help us climb up the charts and get the word out to everyone else. Thank you to Colin Murdoch for our wonderful afternoon in the Argo. Thanks also to George D and Keith Drew from Rough Guides, my producer Alana Chance and my exec producers Laura Sheeter and Ruth Barnes from Chalk and Blade. And thank you, listener. Happy travels and see you very soon. Thank you.